SAFM leading the conversation. Night Talk with Oliver Dixon. Prof. Peter Bauer, good evening. Thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Good evening and thank you for the invitation. Yeah. Uh, corruption is a transnational activity for the most part, especially when it happens at a high scale. Have any sanctions of any sort proven effective anywhere in economic history uh, as a deterrent towards transnational corruption altogether? Well, basically, sanctions is one of the most powerful tools that we could use globally. Uh, countries use sanctions um, to, to literally cut off the trade supply that generates a lot of wealth and generates opportunities for countries. Um, so as a, as a, as a mechanism, as a, as a persuasive mechanism, it's particularly powerful as such. In terms of focusing specifically on corruption, we could see a form of um, sort of sanctions being imposed through, through trade agreements. So not even a direct sanctions on a country, but perhaps even a trade agreement uh, facilitation mechanism, like AGOA, which is one of the most profound trade agreements that South Africa has with the United States. And that generates billions of rands for us every year. And with these kind of trade agreements, uh, countries like America can, can sort of persuade other countries to 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 you know in with a go we would have favorable trade agreements with them but with a with a go they could say well if South Africa gets removed from that list it could actually curtail a lot of that income that we generate with the United States and the same principle could be applied to the European Union for example and we've seen what's happening with Russia um, and 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 the the the, the sort of combined effect of sanctions by many of the Western countries on Russia has obviously had a, a remarkable effect. And we also then start seeing shifts and, tr- uh, shifts and trends then on the political frontier as well. So, yeah. so it is a powerful mechanism, but a specific history of sanctions on a specific, uh, to a specific corporation, my knowledge unfortunately doesn't go that far. Yeah. Uh, importantly, uh, what does this mean for the EU? Because I would imagine that they would have to do this preemptively, right? Uh, for it to have any sort of effect. Doing it after the fact, the acts of corruption have already taken place. It, it doesn't deter anything. Uh, but if we do, if they do do it before the act, they run the risk of rendering certain individuals, politically exposed individuals, uh, alleged of corruption as either being uh, uh, prematurely rendered guilty when they perhaps are still facing charges and trial, um, jurisprudentially that goes against even the same principles that European Union member states uh, base their own uh, domestic laws on. Um, but it, it, it plays then the role of a judge outside the jurisdiction where it finds itself in, where it doesn't always have the necessary information, the documentation, or the forensics tools to be able to make a determination about the guilt of somebody. Does this not mean that they become, that they start ex acting extrajudicial when dealing with corruption? Um, absolutely. Everything you're saying, it makes perfectly good sense. But I think there are already mechanisms already in place. Like South Africa, for example, has been grey-listed. And some of the factors that they, they cited against South Africa were, for example, the level of corruption that we would be experiencing within the country. Things like money laundering was one of the factors that they, they raised. 
um, the, 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 the judiciary and the system of regulation around our banking sector were, were also brought to, to question. And this, this in a country which has uh, a, a really well-structured uh, financial system already in place. So I think when, when it comes to the, the sort of the decisions in, in advance, we already have uh, a number of watchdog organizations out there that are already monitoring and, and observing these kind of events. And, and, and you're right, as you say, you know, they, the, the, the challenge we would have is, you know, are we not judging, uh, the, so we say, the cart before the horse, so to speak? Yeah. You know, the corruption is already happening. But with the grace listing, for example, uh, South Africa was given a number of years in which to actually turn it around. So the, 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 the initial warnings came out something like in 2021 already, and, and we were already supposed to have reached certain benchmarks for this to actually happen or for, for this uh, for for us to you know before we we get really sort of yeah. some say judged, so so there are processes that we're supposed to follow. In South Africa's case, we are making steps. There is already you know there there is a a, a function in place where we where we are open to to what the the international community is saying, and we are taking steps because the relationship between the South Africa and the rest of the world is still a very important relationship and not something we would like to damage. Yeah. Uh, give us a call, 86 Do you have a co- comment or a question in this conversation? We'd love to hear from you. I've got a text here, uh, Peter, from Donald in Rustenburg, who says, Good evening, Oliver. Uh, I'm sure to sanction corrupt individuals in different countries will help to minimize looting rate because it means those individuals cannot bank their money or do any business in Europe. Well, if I can't bank in Europe, I'll go bank in Asia. Uh, that's usually the logic of a corrupt <laughs> individual. And somewhere, somewhere in the world, there will always be a safe haven country uh, that sees it as an opportunity to uh, facilitate and house these transactions and these monies that mean something to their economy, especially really small island economies. Um, are we solving the problem or just diverting it to other parts of the world? Well, yes, I think a diversion is actually a really great way to say it. And I don't think any particular country, any particular country can say that they are free from, from actually um, supporting you know, those, those kind of bank accounts. There's a large amount of money that moves into the United States. There's money that moves into Switzerland. There's money that is moving into um, the, the, the islands, for example. There they, they are, are many different uh, options and routes, but I think many of the Western countries themselves are not completely guiltless, if I can use that word, um, in terms of you know, where, where those monies have actually flowed. Um, I think a, a big consideration is, again, you know, the, the kind of funds that, that are being used, how are they being distributed, and, again, what is the end purpose? And, and for, for some of the banks uh, or banking nations where, where money is actually sometimes in these islands being stored, yeah. they, there's an incredible turnaround. They, they, they benefit to the banks too. So, so nobody is completely blameless here. I think mm. every, there are a number of countries that are actually being involved. What is also very interesting, if we take it through to what is actually happening, where, where, where money is converted into additional forms of, of trade, like, for example, we're transferring it via Bitcoin, for example, or we're transferring it through, through commodities right, such as right. art, art and, and the trade of art, uh, where money then gets stored in, in artworks. Um, and and there are uh, yeah. places where art is, uh, for example, used for something like this.
Yeah, I <laughs> I had a conversation very similarly with a friend the other day. Um, that art seems to be a good money laundering facility uh, because you really could thumb suck a price and that's the value uh, and that value holds. Give us a call. The number to dial is 86 Taking your WhatsApp voice notes on 614 We're going to take a quick break on the other side of this. We continue the conversation. SAFM, leading the conversation. Your policies, your laws. Let's debate on Night Talk. You're listening to Night Talk. My name is Oliver Dixon. Really, really enjoying being in your company. Give us a call, 086-000-2032. Do you support the EU's move uh, to create a blacklist, effectively, for officials or for members of the world, really, facing charges of serious acts of corruption. I already have a text here on, on, on our WhatsApp line from Malcolm McGregor who says he thinks it's a good move. Is this something that African nation states should consider as well? And I'm in conversation with Professor Peter Bauer, an associate professor at the University of Johannesburg in economics. Peter, uh, I, I just want to maybe ask this. Corruption oftentimes is very politicized, right? Even in Europe very politicized. We'll circle back to all of those PPE tenders uh, that Boris Johnson's friends was getting uh, during during COVID, right? Uh, similarly, in South Africa, corruption is politicized and it is the case the world over. Uh, but perhaps then this will become politically messy, especially if individuals who are associated to, to corruptions are officials within any particular government. It may be a minister, it may be a diplomat, it may be a high-ranking government official. And if you sanction those sorts of individuals, it becomes diplomatically messy, right? Uh, because Absolutely. you're effectively sanctioning certain parts of another nation-state. Yes, I think, and also in terms of political circles, in most cases, the, the stakes are really high. So in terms of political positioning, there could be a number of challenges that they could actually, uh, and, and advantages, you know, that, that, that certain, certain countries, certain politicians, certain political bodies could, could gain from this. And it creates all kinds of leverage opportunities too. But then the cost of this kind of leverage will always filter down to, to, to our, our income earners. Uh, to our, our, especially, you know, the, the border portion of our population that are living at very low income levels are the ones that are most likely going to be hurt by the whole process. And, and again, you know, these, these kind of, this kind of leverage can, can extend through to a political, a global political leverage as well. So, can, so, so we can use this as leverage, for example, um, around, let's say, the Ukraine and the Ukraine conflict. We can we can we can use like who gets to do trade with them, who gets to do business with mm. these particular countries, and if you take a look at the nature and the layers that are involved as well, everything from the provision of of basic food supplies right through to the sale of weapons, all of these things have their political positioning, and they could then of course you know carry a fair amount of of um, political should we say a political yeah. a political position if we can call it that. So you're, you're actually correcting what you're saying. Yeah. Well, the EU inadvertently, is there a possibility, however remote it may be, where the EU and its member states would be isolating themselves politically and economically uh, through this particular uh, um, sanctioning device? 
because uh, not so much as in isolating. I think more in terms of reshuffling. There's a lot of reshuffling right now. There's a lot of repositioning right now in terms of like around this entire Russian uh, Ukrainian situation. And so we see moves with, from China, China forming allies. There's a, a lot of um, interest in, for example, resources that are coming from some of the developing countries, be it yeah. in South America or in Africa. So where I think uh, uh, the, the European Union is very keen now on, on creating better trade agreements with the Southern, Southern Americas, so South America region, um, and that, that's, of course, creating opportunities for them as well. So, so, so in a sense, the, the, it's, it's more about forming French, friendship circles, new, new jostling for positions, and, and, and teaming up with different communities. And this is a bit of a concern because that, that is often probably a sign of saying, well, you know, this is a pending conflict. How countries are seeing conflict coming out of this into the future. Yeah. And so this, this jostle for position is actually something that we need to be well aware of because, because they form, they're forming those friendship groups right now. Uh, the allies, shall we say, yeah. they're forming allied relationships between and, countries. And, and that's why I imagine it would get sticky, Peter, because it's easy to sanction, um, a, you know, Isabel dos Santos in Angola because Angola is not really an ally to you and it's not an ally to any of your powerful, uh, you know, nation states in the, in the world. So you lose nothing by doing that. But as soon as it's uh, Hunter Biden, the son of Joe Biden, who is embroiled in a corruption charge, hypothetically speaking, and is facing federal charges in the U.S. pertaining to the Ukraine, for instance, suddenly it becomes awkward because how do you sanction the son of a sitting uh, head of state? Uh, and, and, and so the application of the sanctioning tool becomes selective uh, and render, rendering it ineffective because of the what will be an inevitable credibility crisis that comes attached to it. And through that, with the EU then, uh, so I'm repeating that question, would it not isolate itself globally because now it's just going to be uh, awkward every time it needs to apply this tool? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and you're right here because it depends on what the advantages are in terms of how those sanctions are going to be imposed. If a country is going to have an advantage uh, in sanctioning, they most definitely will. But if they are not, and we, we kind of go right down to the, the, the very elements of what is being traded. So if a country gives an advantage uh, that, that, like, for example, if you sanction them and gives your country an advantage, of course you will, most likely you'll see those kind of sanctions being imposed. But where countries will need, um, as a, so, so we say, certain support, um, and, and especially when, when we're talking around um, trade, trade relationships, especially within Africa, now people are going to be a little bit more concerned because Africa is still very rich in resources and there's a lot in terms of um, opportunities still coming out of it. So, yes, we yeah. will. We will most definitely uh, start looking for that. Again, what I mentioned earlier, the political leverage that we can get out of the sanctions. And therefore, I don't believe that the sanctions specifically are going to be like justice being completely blind. I think they are, they are definitely agendas and agendas within agendas that, that will play a big role. Yeah. In, in, in the decision making. Would it serve African states, in particular would it serve South Africa, good to consider a similar tool? Uh, okay, well, um, we, we, I think South Africa needs to, need, again, it's adjusting between the different political states and, and this new shuffling that is actually taking place right now. It depends on who we want to be friends with. 
and and how deep we want to we want to entrench that friendship going forward, especially during this period of uncertainty and and the possible outcomes of ongoing conflict or of of, glo- of global climate change will even have an impact because that could have an impact on food prices and food prices could have an, uh, an ongoing, uh, shall we say, a spillover effect into other commodities and that's an inflationary pressure as well. So, so governments are going to be very, very sensitive looking at the level and risk of uncertainty as, as we go forward and, and, and then we will be starting to sort of see like, what kind of friendships we can actually and what advantages we can gain from the kind of sanctions that we're going to impose on different countries. Yeah. Peter, thank you so much for your time. Really, really do appreciate it. We're going to have to leave it there. Uh, Peter Bauer is a professor, an associate professor of economics at the University of Johannesburg. What are your thoughts on this? Give me a call. 86 I'm also taking your WhatsApp voice notes on 0614-104-107. 0614-104-107. Tweet me. It is at Oliver underscore speaking on Twitter, Oliver Dixon on Facebook. I want to ask you a question, and you can answer me on the open line. Uh, the Reserve Bank launched new banknotes today. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, do, is this, you know, I, I, I know people who collect banknotes uh, just for fun. Like, uh, you know how people used to collect stamps, like post postal stamps back in the day? I know people who collect banknotes and have been doing it across the centuries. Um, my dad, in particular, has some banknotes from 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 way back in the '90s and the '80s, and it, they look vastly, vastly, vastly different. Do you like the new design? If you've seen it at all, I seldomly have cash and I seldomly use cash, so I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> I'm not sure when I'm going to get to see it, but maybe you have a thought on it. Give me a call: zero eight six triple zero two zero three two. I'll take your answers on that in the open line. But right now, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to be speak to the African Transformation Movement.